0: Let me repeat that to you. As Christ does not want the things of God to be ascribed to Caesar, so he does not want to see any things ascribed to him that are others and not his, whether according to divine laws or even the laws of his own empire. If contrary to these laws, Caesar should demand my life or some other man's life or the chastity of a wife or daughter or property or etc., I ought not to allow them to him. So remember, Jesus talked about that. Things that are gods are gods, the things that are Caesars are Caesars. Whatever is gods should not be given to Caesar, and that's what they're pointing out. They go on and they say, Thus there was no price whatsoever at which Naboth was willing to sell his vineyard to his king Ahab. 1 Kings 21. Ambrose was not willing to allow his sanctuary to the Arians in the command of the Empress Justina. Lawrence was not willing to hand over the treasure of the church to Decius. Would that leaders as well as subjects were thinking of this right and these examples, Unquote. That's what the Magdeburgers wrote in 1550 A.D. So they mention Lawrence, And I put in the footnote, Lawrence was the archdeacon of Sixtus, the bishop of Rome. He was besieged and brutally martyred by Roman Emperor Decius for giving the church treasures to the poor rather than allow them to be seized by the state. The emperor had demanded the riches of the church. And as I'll explain in the story, Lawrence refused to give him exactly what he wanted. Some historians say he was martyred by Emperor Valerian, who succeeded Emperor Decius. Such is the case when you're dealing with such old history. But the Magdeburgers chose to go with the history which states that it was Decius. And in January 250, Decius issued one of the most draconian Roman imperial edicts ever. From the numerous surviving texts from Egypt recording the act of sacrifice, it appears that the edict itself was fairly clear. All the inhabitants of the empire were required to sacrifice before the magistrates of their community, quote unquote, for the safety of the empire. Much evil has been done by governments over the centuries for the safety or under the guise of the safety. Of the empire, or for the safety of you, our safety. Much evil has been done under that pretext by governments down through the ages. This had to be done by a certain day, though the date varied from place to place throughout the empire. When they sacrificed, they would obtain a certificate, a libellus, recording the fact that they had complied with the order. That is, the certificate would testify the sacrifice's loyalty to the ancestral gods and to the consumption of sacrificial food and drink, as well as the names of the officials, the magistrates, who were overseeing the sacrifice. So this is a decree that Decius put out in January of 250 A.D. Lawrence was chief of the seven deacons of the congregation at Rome. The seven men who, like Stephen, whose martyrdom we had just witnessed and Acts 7 and who was clearly a deacon as recorded in Acts chapter 6 they were in charge of administering the church budget particularly with regard to the care of the poor The accounts recorded about a century later by Ambrose and the poet Prudentius report that the Roman prefect, knowing that Lawrence was the principal financial officer, promised to set him free. You won't get killed like everybody else is getting killed. Promised to set him free if he would surrender the wealth of the church. Just give up all the material possessions of the church and you get to live. Lawrence agreed, but said that it would take him three days to gather it all. During those three days, Lawrence placed all the money at his disposal in the hands of trustworthy stewards and then assembled the sick, the aged, the poor, the widows, the orphans of the congregations, presented them to the prefect, and said, these are the treasures of the church. So he took all these possessions that the church had, gold and whatnot, gave it to these people, the poor, the widows, the orphans, the sick, and then presents all those people to the prefect and says, these are the treasures of the church. The enraged prefect ordered him to be roasted alive on a gridiron. Lawrence bore the torture with great calmness. The spectacle of his courage made a great impression on the people of Rome, and many became converts, while greatly reducing among pagans the belief that Christianity was a socially undesirable movement that should be stamped out. His love for Christ and fealty to him, willing to suffer, willing to actually go against what the civil magistrates say. Notice Lawrence didn't look up Romans 13. And say, I, I I gotta give him all this stuff. No, instead he gives all the stuff away and presents those who are truly important to Christ, Christianity. People, human beings, before the prefect. Many conversions to Christianity throughout Rome reportedly followed Lawrence's death, including those of several senators witnessing his execution all because a Christian demonstrated faithfulness to Christ rather than glibly obey the government. By the way, I posted on the 4th of July a few days ago about Claire and I's trip. You know, I have those little memory things come up on Facebook, for those of you who do Facebook. It's like Facebook knows more about your life than you do. So this was the year 2010, so it's like nine years ago. We went to Florida to speak up for the preborn out on the streets. On the way back, we stopped at New Ekota, Georgia, which is where the Cherokees lived before they were rounded up, sent to Tennessee, and eventually put on the Trail of Tears. New Ekota is an entire, the entire place is a national park now. And as we were going through the museum area, here's this section about the Christians who were beaten and imprisoned for years because they stood with the Cherokees. It's like, I know a lot. I knew nothing about this. And here it is once again, right in my face. Christians who stood faithful to Christ, showed love to their neighbor, and defied the civil authorities when they were doing wrong. It is the history of true Christianity. And here it was right there in New Cota. And I remember, I, I write here at this national park where the Cherokees lived before being removed by federal and state government officials. There is a whole section about the Christians who stood with them and were beaten in prison for doing so. A park ranger lectured all my children, which there were nine of them with me on that trip, lectured all my children about it for 15 minutes after I asked about the history of it. And it was astounding that this guy knew this stuff. It was an awesome lecture. And then I write, Christians always put Christ first, even when those in civil authority are abusing their power. True appreciation for liberty and freedom on this fourth is found in Christ first. Amen? Men who don't know Christ don't know what true freedom and liberty is. And it's sad when those who do name the name of Christ whore themselves out for false liberty and freedom. Let's learn a little bit about Emperor Decius, who put to death, whose decree put to death Lawrence, the deacon. Decius actually led the first organized empire-wide persecution of Christians. Did you know that? This was the first empire-wide persecution. Organized before that happened in different areas of the empire and things like that, depending on what magistrates were in power. Of course, we know about Nero and um, his craziness. This is the first empire-wide persecution, totally organized. Decius defeated the previous emperor, Emperor Philip, known as Philip the Arab. Philip may have been the first actual Christian emperor 60 years before Constantine showing the growth and influence of Christianity in the Roman Empire. Among early Christian writers, Philip had the reputation of being sympathetic to the Christian faith. Probably for this reason, it was even claimed by some that he had converted to Christianity, which would have made him the first Christian emperor. He supposedly tried to celebrate Easter with Christians in Antioch, but the bishop, St. Bablis made him stand with the penitents, those who weren't truly converted yet. Philip and his wife received letters from Origen. Philip was betrayed and killed at the Battle of Verona in September 249 following a rebellion led by his successor, Gaius Messius Quintus Decius. Decius deposed Philip and became the emperor of Rome. And this is probably part of why Decius persecuted the Christians, because of Philip's love for them. As one writer put it, quote, This was occasioned partly by the hatred he bore to his predecessor, Philip, who was deemed a Christian and and was partly by his jealousy concerning the amazing increase of Christianity, for the heathen temples began to be forsaken and the Christian churches thronged, unquote. Or as another writer put it, quote, Philip was one or at least sympathetic to Christians. And he, Decius, was the great conservative who probably wanted to reaffirm his conservative vision of the Pax Romana and to reassure Rome's citizens that the empire was still secure. An added reason was that in 250 AD, the plague broke out in the empire and Emperor Decius thought it was caused by the Christians' failure to recognize him as divine hence his edict and persecution. Philip reigned as emperor from February 244 until September 249. Decius reigned from September 249 to June 251. So Philip reigned for five and a half years, Decius less than two, and both suffered the same fate, which was in fashion during that era for emperors, namely betrayal and assassination. One scholar summed up Decius's persecution of Christians this way. He said, quote, We must recognize the fact that Decius was one of the best and noblest of the Roman emperors and that he persecuted as a patriot and a believer in the religion of his fathers. He was the first one that aimed at the complete extermination of the Christians. He went systematically to work to put the religion out of existence And the persecution was consequently both universal and of terrible severity, far more terrible than any that had preceded it. Unquote. This is Emperor Decius. Let me share with you one other story of a Christian who suffered under Decius. Remember Emperor Philip received letters from Origen? How many of you have heard of Origen? Okay, some of you. Origen is a well-known church father from that era. He lived from 184 to 253 A.D. He was a theologian and apologist, though some of his writings were somewhat odd and some of his views were later condemned as heretical. I've read many of his writings. Some of them are fantastic. He had an unbelievable mind. And other things he wrote, you're just like, what? In other words, he was a man. (laughs) We're all imperfect men. Origen, too, was persecuted by Decius. Eusebius recounts how Origen suffered, quote, bodily tortures and torments under the iron collar and in the dungeon. Which, if you know anything about the dungeons and the weight of those collars from that time, was an awful thing to endure, and he was in there for two years. So Eusebius, who wrote the most lengthy early church history, and I encourage all of you to read it. He wrote it about 325 A.D. He said that Origen suffered, quote, bodily tortures and torments under the iron collar and in the dungeon, and how for many days with his feet stretched four spaces in the stocks, unquote. The governor of Caesarea, remember, Caesarea is where Philip, the deacon, ended up residing with his four virgin daughters, as we saw there in the book of Acts. That's where Origen spent the bulk of his ministerial time. He spent over two decades there, actually. It was in Caesarea, there in present day Israel. And it was Israel then, too, part of Samaria. The governor of Caesarea gave very specific orders that Origen was not to be killed until he had publicly renounced his faith in Christ. That is why they tortured him so long and so heavily. They didn't want him to die. They wanted him to recant before the entire population. So it would demoralize anyone else naming the name of Christ and encourage them to do the same. Origen endured two years of imprisonment and torture, but obstinately refused to renounce his faith. He would not do it. In 252, the emperor Decius was assassinated, and Origen was released from prison. He outlived the tyrant. But nonetheless, Origen's health was broken by the physical tortures that he endured over those two years. And he died less than a year later at the age of 69. 69. Remember I said in my second sermon from Acts 7 regarding Stephen's martyrdom that very few Christians were told deny Christ or die. You know, that that's how most Christians are in America today. Well, they ever tell me to deny Christ or die. I I won't deny him. But they've denied him eight hundred other ways in points of obedience to Christ, which they failed to uphold and observe. The vast majority of persecutions had and have to do with some point of obedience. The matter is about authority. This matter of persecution, martyrdom, it's about authority, it's about rule. The design of the state is to persecute and eliminate Christianity or subjugate it or dull, deaden and defile it in their midst. Dull, deaden, and defile the form of Christianity in their midst, and this is what has happened in America and throughout the West to the church. The state or religious authority's desire is to root out of Christians obedience to the faith and deprive the Lord of his rightful dominion in the earth and over those who claim to be his subjects the state makes laws and policies which they please and which serves their lusts for the advancement of arbitrary government, which is designed according to the whims of men, free of any objective standard, like the law and word of God. The tyrant state abhors an objective standard to which it is accountable. Rather, it flourishes in a subjective environment. It wants to be accountable to no one, and certainly not to the Lord of the universe. Faithful obedience to the Lord exposes the magistrates' rebellion against God and calls their evil through law and decree to account. Did you hear what I said? Our faithful obedience to the Lord exposes the magistrates' rebellion against God and calls their evil through law and decree to account. It gives the magistrates opportunity to see that their authority has limits and to repent of their evil. The Christian is brought into confrontation and conflict with the state because of his obedience. Because of a point of obedience. That is overwhelming reasons for the suffering, the persecution, the martyrdom of Christian men and women over the centuries. Not someone standing there with a weapon in there saying, Deny Christ or die. Rarely has happened. It's a point of obedience. And when the Christian stands true to Christ, this results in suffering, persecution, and even martyred them. And that's why the Apostle Peter says, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while. Suffering is part of the Christian life. History proves it. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle Peter says. May Christ be praised, and may he be praised through our lives. Let's stand up and we'll close in a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Father, we rejoice in you and give thanks to you for your goodness to us that you redeemed us that when our lives were totally meaningless going nowhere abject rebellion against you you loved us. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, you regenerated us, transformed us into new creatures in Christ. Translate us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the light of your dear Son, Jesus. So that our lives might count for something. That we might live in service to him who died in our stead. For surely we should have been put to death for our sins. But he died in our place. Now may we live to bring glory to him with the days that you have allotted each one of us. Lord, you see the wicked country in which we live, the wicked times. You see the Christians whoring themselves out, left and right, changing 2,000 years of biblical interpretation to accommodate themselves to the mores of a rebellious and filthy nation. You see that, Lord. Lord, we ask for your strength to do right by you in the midst of it, to be true and faithful to you in the midst of, of the rebellion, in the midst of the whoredom. May we be faithful and true to you, I pray. Give us that strength. May we raise our voices. May we use our bodies in ways demonstrably faithful to you. Calling men to repentance of sin and faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, speaking of the things of you, holding the magistrates of the land accountable for the laws and decrees they have made, which impugn your law, which spit upon your word. May we be your faithful ambassadors, I pray. Faithful and true to you. May you do this through each one of us by the power of your Holy Spirit. May we not cower. And I ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Praise his name. Um, You can be seated. And are we doing communion this week? Awesome. So we are doing communion, and you can feel free to partake with us as long as you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, we ask that you not take communion as the Lord's Table is only for believers to observe. But if you are a Christian, feel free to partake with us. You don't have to be a member of this church or something like that in order to partake at the Lord's Table here. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Amen? He meant this figuratively. We know that. Why? Because he was sitting there in his body when he said it. He meant it figuratively. This time at his table reminds us of his finished work at Calvary, the death on the cross. The Bible states that the wages of sin is death. We should have been put to death for our sins, but God in his love towards us had his son die in our stead. Take upon himself the sin of the whole world. Even John the Baptist declared that when he saw him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that if we will believe in him, God will forgive us of our sin and we will live for him. Amen? This is a great salvation. Notice there's only these two elements at the table of the Lord. The fruit of the vine representing his shed blood and the bread representing his body. There's nothing else here. There isn't these two elements plus a list of all my good works or a list of all my holy little deeds. Those aren't here. Only these two elements, showing that we commune with the Father on the basis of Jesus Christ plus nothing. So we don't do good works or commit holy deeds in order to try and obtain God's acceptance. Rather, we do good works and commit holy deeds because we have obtained God's acceptance. Understand? And there's a huge distinction that a whole Reformation was fought over. That's how important that distinction is. Our soul means to the Father, whether we've been a Christian for five seconds or 55 years, is still the same. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's what gives us right standing with God. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice in you and thank you for this time that we have at your table to remember this great salvation And I pray that each one would remember, O God, how they once lived in darkness and how you transformed them by the power of your Spirit. I pray and ask, O Lord, that each one would love you for the forgiveness that they've obtained regarding their sins. And Lord, I just ask and pray that each of us would live faithful in the earth to you, that we would finish our days faithful to you, whether we have a week or whether we have another 65 years. Lord, may we live faithful to you, I pray. Build up your kingdom in each of our lives and in each of our homes. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together. Hallelujah. Praise unto him, amen. Let's stand up. We'll have a word of prayer. Blessed is your name, Lord. We give thanks and praise to you. Father, you see this effort coming up where hundreds will gather from around the country who name your name and love you and love their neighbor, love righteousness. Lord, this whole OSA event, Lord, has caused the devils to go crazy. You see the demonic activity on so many levels that has taken place in the months leading up to this effort. And Lord, we just ask and pray that all that subsides and goes away in the midst of your people going forward anyway. And Lord, I ask and pray that you lead, you guide, you use powerfully this simple effort. As cheap as it can look, oh God. As ineffectual as it may appear. Off in a corner somewhere. Yet we know you and we know how you use things for your purposes, exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ever ask or think, O God. We have seen it, and we look forward to seeing it again. We ask that you would do it, O God. That tens of thousands of lives would be forever different because of this gathering, that people would be set on course to faithfully serve you and the earth because of this gathering. People would be strengthened, built up in the faith. Lord, we look to you to do a great work. By the power of your Holy Spirit, the machinations of man, what a joke. Lord, we look to you. Do a great work as people gather. And take these simple efforts and use them in mighty ways to the glory of your name in the earth. May the magistrates in Wisconsin tremble. Not because of 300 people gathering, but because of you. May we be your faithful ambassadors, making you known to men and to the magistrates of men. May some who are living in complete corruption or despair, O God, come to know you before that week is over. Forever different by the power of your Holy Spirit. We look to you for these things, O God. This is nothing we can manufacture. We are utterly dependent upon you. You are the vine. We are the branches. We can do nothing without you. And we look to you. May we do right by you. And I ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. May Christ be praised. God bless you.